Welcome to the Superpower Success Podcast. It's time to shift your paradigm, gain some inspiration, and get moving towards that next level of success. Imposter syndrome. I have it. You have it. We all have it, whether you realize it or not. And it has an impact on you, whether you are realizing it or not. And that is the topic that we are going to talk about today. My guest, Teresa Sandy, she is the CEO of Mirror Mirror Strategies. She is an author. She is a dear colleague from years ago, from the good old days in corporate America. Um, And she's here. She wrote a whole book around this. So she's clearly an expert in helping us understand how this really works, how we can get past it time and time again, because we're never done. It's not something you solve. I wish it was, but it it isn't. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for you to just start with telling your journey. Like, how have you gotten to this point in your success? Because I think in the podcast, it's so important for other people to hear leaders' real journeys, because none of our journeys are these perfectly paved paths from point A to point B. It doesn't exist. That is for sure. (laughs) So tell us about your journey. Yeah, so I spent about 20, 25 years in corporate America, but really started out as a communications person um, and then just sort of grew my career from there. You know, I got my master's degree in organizational effectiveness, really became passionate about healthy cultures, how to help organizations be more effective and specifically how to help leaders be more effective. Time and time again, leaders are stubbing their toe on things that they don't even quite realize are preventing them from being successful. So I have just kind of navigated my career through corporate America and, you know, mostly on the large organization side of things. Started out right after grad school working for Intel, had no business being there, didn't know what I was doing, (laughs) Um, but had some really amazing mentors and bosses that, you know, challenged me and stretched me and had faith in me. And it just made all the difference. And, um, Probably about 10 or 12 years ago, I was doing a lot of internal coaching of executives and people up and coming in the talent pipeline. Mm -hmm. And I started noticing that some of them were really struggling with their confidence, with their belief that they uh, deserve the success that was coming to them. And it was so ironic to me because it was at this point of high achievement. So they got the promotion. We were investing in them. We were developing them. And they would confide in me. I think they got the wrong person. I think they got it wrong. It's I'm just a be found out. matter of time this shoe is going to drop. And I heard it over and over again. And I started seeing it more and more with women and people of color that I was coaching, far more than I saw with the men that I was coaching. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm, this is interesting. Um, and I, you know, so I started doing some research. You know, I talked to different people, did some research, and I stumbled upon this study that had been done in the late 70s by two uh, PhD professors, Clance and Imes, and they had coined a term for essentially what I just described. They called it imposter phenomenon. And the reason they called it a phenomenon is because they were so perplexed by it. It It's like all these students in their PhD program were high test scores, lots of accolades, you know, just smart, brilliant people. They were seeing that their women in particular were not able to own the success that came to them. So they would chalk it up to things like, oh, I just got lucky. One of the people in the study actually was quoted as saying, you know, I'm pretty sure I got into this PhD program because the first choice person wasn't available. Like they were the consolation prize. And so 
when I found that, I started sharing that with some of the people I was coaching and it really resonated. And first, the common response was this exhale and sigh of relief. Like, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I'm not alone. There's a name for it. Okay. Right. And, and you could see them start to gain back some of their power. Like they didn't feel helpless. But what was so interesting is they would say to me, great, now what? And I would do my research and see what I could find. And there wasn't a lot written about what to do about this. How do you actually combat it? And imposter syndrome, it's interesting. I believe it's an outcome. It's not a thing that you're flawed. It's an outcome of messages you receive, the environment you're a part of, um, you know, the way that you're treated your fear you know and this this can be deep-rooted I mean it can come from childhood it can come from your schooling so imposter syndrome is an outcome of your experience and it's complicated I mean it's not like a we're gonna peel that apart because I yeah so what caused you to write the book just the fascinating part of like hearing all of this and wanting to help people with it yes um Honestly, the more I learned, the more I realized I struggled with imposter syndrome. And I thought, okay, I have to learn everything I can because I saw what these people I was coaching were doing to hold themselves back. And I'm like, I'm doing that too. I'm doing that too. I'm holding myself back. So it's sort of therapeutic for me as well. If you're going to spend years writing a book, I recommend that it benefits you as well because it's a journey and it's not always pretty. You know this. I do. It is therapy though. It's not always pretty. Often authors that are putting themselves out there are doing it for themselves first and then they're like by the time they get to the end of it they're like oh this can actually benefit other people too (laughs) that's neat (laughs) yeah so for me it was it was dual right I mean Mm -hmm. it was how can I help people that I'm coaching right but also when I would find things yeah someone would share a nugget of wisdom that worked for them or I would find something that worked for me when I would share it with other people I was coaching they would say, this is so helpful. This is so valuable. And I thought, okay, how can I do this that isn't just one-on-one? How can I get this at scale to more people and help them? Um, So I ended up doing almost 100 interviews for the book of different executives and leaders and people who had suffered from imposter syndrome just to consolidate their knowledge and their wisdom. And then I paired that with the research that I did and, you know, in my 20 plus years of experience. And that's really where the book came from. I couldn't not write the book. In fact, I had too much content. I probably have a second book somewhere in me because so much ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot there. Fascinating. Okay. We're going to dive into this because I need help on this as well. (laughs) Um, So let's jump into the superpowers first before we jump deeper into the imposter syndrome. So what do you think is a superpower that you have that's helped you get to this point in your success? So it's actually how I named my company, Mm -hmm. you know, Mirror Mirror Strategies. I'm a big believer that it's important to have an accurate view of either yourself or what's going on around you. And so one thing that someone told me 20 years ago is they said, you really hold up the mirror for me and you help me Mm. see what you see that I can't see for myself. Right. And what's so valuable about that, and you know this, right? It's like, once you see something, you can't unsee it. (laughs) Once you know something, you can't unknow it. It doesn't mean that you have to do something with every piece of information you get. But once that mirror is held up and it's a crystal clear picture of what you're looking at, it could be your strengths, your own superpowers. It could be your flaws, your shortcomings, your 
your unconscious bias, your blind spots. Right. So one of the things that I, um, I think just naturally do is I walk alongside people and hold up the mirror so that they can see, and then they're at choice. And once people are at choice, well, my gosh, you know, the sky's the limit, right? Now you can, right. you it's can the first take, step. yeah, right. There's some freedom Awareness in this. Awareness is and, the first step. <laughs> right. I yeah. love that. So let's dig a little bit deeper into this imposter syndrome. So you wrote an entire book on it. You (laughs) Mm self-diagnosed. How has it affected your journey going through that and understanding it deeper? Like how has it changed how you look at it? Yeah, I think I had a lot of the misperceptions that a lot of people have about imposter syndrome, meaning um, it's often, you know, miscategorized as, oh, you're just not confident or don't doubt yourself. Um, Imposter syndrome shows up in a really sneaky way often. Mm -hmm. So it'll show up in ways like, I'm worried that it's just a matter of time I'm gonna be found out. And it's complicated because for me, 20 plus years in corporate America, as I rose through the ranks, I started to see a lot fewer people that looked like me, sounded like me, followed my path, right? Mm -hmm. I was one of the onlys in the room, I was an other. And the last thing I wanted to do was raise my hand and shine a light on where I felt, you know, incomplete, not adequate, right? So then what did I do? I worked harder. I started overanalyzing my work. I started micromanaging my team. Why was I doing that? Because I couldn't fail. Failure wasn't an option. Fear, scarcity, everything kind of started coming in on me. and. You know, you just, you look in the mirror at some point and you go, that's not me. That's not how I lead. That's right. not how I want to be. And yet, because it showed up in all those ways, I couldn't necessarily connect the dot. You couldn't find the root because it was all these different symptoms. That exactly. Were you know, and I thought, oh, that's weird. You know, I'm kind of short with my husband today or I'm kind of, right? right. It, it, the symptoms of, of imposter syndrome show up in a lot of different ways. And that's why I say it's an outcome of an experience that you're having. It's not just one thing. Right. So, you know, I would say uh, it's affected me quite a bit, but it's been a huge gift too, because through the journey of doing all the research and learning what I've learned about imposter syndrome, I've also learned that it's not my fault. Right. And I'm not alone. Right. And so I have a choice, right? There are things I can set out to impact the culture and impact the environment that I'm a part of. I can certainly look at myself in the mirror and say, where do I choose to, you know, do something different, evaluate something different, operate differently. I mean, there's this kind of common model that says what you think drives what you do and what you do drives the outcome or the results you get. Right. And so often we do something and we get an outcome and we say, I'm not sure I like the outcome. And we just go back to tweaking the behavior. And it's almost like you get caught in this Bermuda Triangle loop of action, outcome, action, outcome, action, outcome. And if you never go all the way back and say, what do I actually think about this? What do I actually believe about this? Right. And so once I figured that out, now I can be empowered to to say, what do I actually think about that? And what do I believe about that? And where does that come from? And does that serve me anymore? Do I, Mm -hmm. does that help me? And that's a really empowered place to be. So, yeah, imposter syndrome has certainly um, 
influenced a lot of things throughout my career Mm -hmm. but once you sort of know what it is and you can put it in its place it's also been a huge gift because now I know what I want to do and how I want to be in the world right and I just love the idea of this isn't something like you're gonna like a disease you're gonna like diagnose and it's gonna go away you're gonna have it you and I still have it yeah really really successful people still have it it's not Mm -hmm. making it go away just like fear you're not gonna eliminate fear from your world it's just how do you manage it yeah how do you use it yes as power and to me how do you get curious about it because that's when I started to realize it and I had some pretty significant points where I'm like that was it right yeah. that's what was causing it but now I've gotten better at like when I feel it I can go why do I feel like that mm-hmm. what is it that I need to do to not feel like that right or how is it showing up so I don't always know the answer, but that getting curious piece is kind of what has helped me now because totally. I can recognize it sooner. Absolutely. And and so there's a couple things you said there. It's a great indication that you are successful because when you experience success, that's when we go, oh, I'm out of my comfort zone. Right. Right. So then all of a sudden you go, I mean, if you choose to, you can look at that and say, okay, that that's kind of a positive, right? Like. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing some cool things. I'm pushing right. myself. And that also, that awareness of reframing it to I'm experiencing this because I'm doing the thing, because I'm successful, right. because I'm worth it. I'd be worried if I wasn't exactly. having this feeling. Exactly. But the second thing that you said is so, so, so important, Jamie, which is, um, and in the book, I organize the content of my material into what I call a framework. And I spell it different. I spell it F-R-A-I-M work. So the word aim is in there. And I do that for two reasons. I want people to aim forward and not ruminate on what's not perfect or what you didn't do right. I want you to look forward. So that's why the word aim is in there. But it also is an acronym. So all of the content is divided to say, are you aware? That's the A. Mm -hmm. How do you interrupt it? So in that moment when you're like, I feel something. How do you interrupt it and put it in its place? That's like the short-term quick Mm -hmm. fix. And then the M is momentum. And that's the deeper work where you're doing this kind of foundational work on yourself. What are your strengths? What are your values? Um, What are you worth? And if you do that foundational work, I can't guarantee you'll never experience imposter syndrome, right? Like you said. Um, But when it pops up, you identify it quicker. You say, zip it. Thank you. I don't want to hear that right now. And your foundation is so much stronger that it's not going to knock you down. You might feel it, you know, it might be like a little punch, but it's not going to knock you down and you're going to be able to get going a lot faster. So that momentum work is so, so critical. I love it. And I love the idea of it really is just an indication that you're out of your comfort zone. Yes. Which is where you want to be if you're growing. And I think so many people get nervous that they're doing something wrong at that point, but it's you're doing it right. Exactly. Right? And I always say my biggest fear is that my issues stay the same. That I'm not, <laughs> right? That I'm not yeah. dealing with bigger, hairier things or different things that I haven't dealt with before. That's a bigger scare to me now in my yeah. career because it means I'm not growing. It means we're not, It means we're just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So I love that. Why do you think some people struggle with this more than others, mm-hmm. and specifically women, yeah. But I mean, there are men who struggle with this as well, but some people don't seem to. Maybe that's a fallacy. Maybe they actually <laughs> do. Just from the outside, they don't appear to. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. Um, when I started doing this research, there was a statistic that said something like 70% of people had reported experiencing imposter syndrome at some point in their career. Okay. Recently, there's been some research that's come out that says 82% of all people have said right. they've experienced it. Men, women, doesn't matter. Right. I think part of it is, are you willing to say it out loud? Right. Are you willing to be vulnerable and say, yeah, sometimes I don't have it all together? Um, and I do think messages that we receive, you know, societal messages about, um, you know, men are often told, fake it till you make it, you know, just go after what you want. Mm -hmm. um, if it's not something you're good at, you can delegate it to your team, right? There's this assumption right. that they're leaders and they're going to have resources and they're going to have this team of people. And women are often like, work harder, figure it out, be the smartest person in the room, you know? Pick yourself and up don't by do your it bootstraps. until you're ready. Yes. So 100%. that was my first experience with imposter syndrome. I remember it vividly. I did not apply for a role that I should have applied for because I didn't check every box. Yeah. And then the man who got the role checked a third of the boxes that I checked. Completely. Right. And I just remember thinking, are you kidding me? Yeah. And I can't be mad at him. Right. It was my own crap, right? Yeah. That was holding me back. Right. But that was the first point. I was like, what is wrong with me? Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's there's 10, 10 qualifications on a job description and a woman will say, well, you know, I, eight of them I can do in my sleep. One of them I'm just learning it now. And the 10th one I don't know. I'd better not put my hat in the ring. And you're right. I mean, generalizing here, right. but many men will say, I've got five of them. Two of them I'm going to delegate to my team. Uh, the other three, nobody expects me to be perfect and I'll fake it till I make it. So here we go. I'm right. going to apply. And, but systemically, systemically, there is research that suggests that organizations have a bias towards evaluating men on their potential and evaluating women on their performance. So if we're evaluating men on what we think they can do and we're evaluating women on what they have done, that's why you won't ever be ready, right? And so it's not like that's all. That, Full stop is the reason we don't have more women in the boardroom. That is not it. But it's a factor. Yep. Then you layer in things like imposter syndrome. So um, I get the promotion. I can't shine a light on the fact that I don't know everything. So I start overworking. I start overanalyzing. I micromanage my team. And the organization goes, well, I gosh, you know, I thought Teresa was amazing. But I don't know. Maybe she was promoted past her point of you know, right. success because now she's kind of displaying these weird behaviors, right? right? And in fairness, I probably am. So I believe that our systems and in corporate America, that's my mm -hmm. experience base, in corporate America, the senior most positions are still primarily held by white men. It doesn't make them bad, right. but that sets a tone for the organization in terms of what good looks like. What's the yardstick? What's the goal? What is success? Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you the number of times I've been called, could you coach this woman on her executive presence? What does that mean? I mean, executive presence usually ends up meaning she doesn't look and sound like me or the rest of my leadership right. team. And we come up with all kinds of reasons, you know, excuses like that is not collaborative. That looks not collaborative to me. When really, it's just a different way of approaching the work. Right. It's diversity. It's diversity and of it's inclusion. Right. Completely. So, and then you layer on top of that some other things. I mean, there is research. Again, a lot of my delineation is gender, but 
Um, women do tend to have higher EQ, higher self-awareness. Well, any strength overused can be a hindrance. Right. So if I'm very self-aware and I'm seeking lots of feedback and I'm checking in with people to see if I'm okay and if I'm doing the right things, well, I'm trying to be everything for everyone. Mm-hmm. So you're... High emotional intelligence, high self-awareness. Can be a weakness of sorts if it's overused. If overused. Right. Yeah, exactly. This is fascinating. <laughs> All the layers of this, right? This is like solving world peace. But <laughs> um, what can leaders and companies do, right, for the business leaders that are listening to help their people in this? I mean, to, if, if they're not a coach, right? You've got yeah. that natural coach. Not all leaders have that or can even see it yeah what can they do to help their teams yeah this is a great question so here's one thing not to do i'll just caveat mm-hmm. or start one thing not to do is to diagnose someone else with imposter syndrome right. there was recently an article in harvard business review if you saw it, and it said something along the lines of stop telling women they have imposter syndrome because what was happening was you know people would learn a little bit about it read an article and then they thought Oh, that must be what Jamie's struggling with. Jamie, you have imposter syndrome, and here's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. That's implying a moral failure on the person that you're diagnosing, right? That you're kind of right. saying, this is what you have. So as leaders, I think one of the best things you can do is watch for the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, Jamie was willing to speak up in meetings, and she was innovative and shared her ideas. We promoted her. Now she's kind of holding back. She's kind of micromanaging her team or gosh, you know, she's working a lot of hours and she's agonizing over this thing like it needs to be perfection. Jamie didn't suddenly, you know, forget how to be successful. There's something going on there. So as a leader, just get curious. Check in. Hey, how's it going? How are you feeling? Notice what the environment is. Notice, if possible, notice if we're trying to fit everyone into a mold. If we only have one definition of success, right. if we tend to promote the same types of people, because all of those create the environment, the environment creates the outcome, which can be imposter syndrome for some people. Okay. So as leaders, you know, I think it's about, I mean, this will go back to the name of my company, but look in the mirror. You know, often if you don't like something that's happening around you in your culture or with your team or with your direct reports, Look at yourself first and just ask if you're doing everything you can to create a supportive environment where people feel safe and like they belong. Right. So that's the first step. And then just get curious, open a dialogue, create a safe space. Right. Psychological safety is one of the most important yes. factors in We're having a anybody. lot of conversations on that right yes, now. In anybody working through yep. imposter syndrome, you got to feel safe. You got to be willing to say, yeah, you know what? I'm not okay. This isn't working for me. Right. I'm struggling. Right. And and you know, we the good news is those the silver lining of the last year has opened up the dialogue to have those kind of conversations. They should have been happening before, but yes. people didn't know. We don't prepare leaders on how to have those conversations, so right? True. And how to lead their people. We reward results. So true. Right? And it's across the board, every business, every size. And yeah. and that's that's what I think is, is the root of some of this, too. And then, you know, when you parlay that into what I saw yesterday, 2.3 million women have left the workforce yeah. since last February. And again, this wasn't the only reason. No. But even before that, right, you see the statistics of they get to a certain level and they leave. 
yeah. meaning they leave to go take care of family or they, they just make a different choice, which is totally okay. Yeah. But if you really dug to the root of it, is it's probably based in this because why can't they find a good balance, right? And be able to do both. It's yeah. they reach a level where they they don't feel supported. Yeah, and you know, this this convert it's a very active conversation around diversity versus inclusion and belonging and equity and and I think those are all super important conversations, but there's this saying, um, you know, if diversity is being invited to the party, then inclusion is being asked to dance once you get there. Right. And I like that saying, but I think it falls short of what we're talking about here. Because if, if diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance, true belonging, an environment where I belong, means I don't have to wait for an invitation because it's my house too. And so this diversity and inclusion mm. conversation isn't going far enough because it still implies someone else is in power and I'm a guest. So until we get to the root of that and we crack that open mm-hmm. and create cultures where people can belong, then I think we're going to continue to be on this treadmill and feeling like it's Groundhog right. Day, like we keep talking about this, right? So for me, that's where I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about next is how do we help leaders really understand what it means to create a culture where people belong. It's right. not your culture or my culture. It's our culture. Right. So that's yeah. beautiful. No, I, that's a big task, <laughs> but big it's, it's the right approach. I totally get that. So if someone is listening in like the, all of the people that are listening and they're self-diagnosing themselves <laughs> with imposter syndrome, sure. what, where do they start? Yeah. Right? What do they do first? Yeah, I mean, you know, so awareness is key. I mean, I always say start with awareness and understand these root causes. I mean, understand where they come from. And like I said, I mean, it could come from messages from your childhood. Right. You know, I mean, I always tell the story. It's just a brief one. My brother's three years older than I am. And growing up, both of our parents were always very supportive of both of us. Mm -hmm. They said, you can do anything, you can be anything. And we believed it. But my brother was also told things like, you're going to have a family someday, you're going to lead, people are going to count on you, sometimes you're going to have to be tough and go to battle. I was told, you can do anything, you can be anything, but I was also told things like, you know what, Teresa, get some broad skills, become a Swiss army knife for people, figure Mm -hmm. out how you can make things easy for other people, they'll want to work with you. Sort of get along to go along, you know, sort of a thing, right? Right. Or go along, get along. And so it's those messages are so subtle and they were so well intended. Well intended, right? There was no So well intended. And they did serve me. I mean, those messages are, you know, so for anyone listening, those messages, there's nothing wrong with those messages in and of themselves. It's when you look at it in totality and you look at the entire environment and the expectations placed on gender the messages we receive, the coaching that we get, all of those kinds of things, right? It also didn't set me up to be, you know, fierce. So in you, you pull the thread on that and the first time something goes wrong in a corporate job or, you know, whatever, and, and I would ask myself, what didn't I do? What didn't I do? Maybe I, maybe I wasn't friendly enough. Maybe I didn't work hard enough. Instead of saying, hey, this environment, <laughs> this right. isn't right. So... I think awareness and just kind of cueing into where does this come from for you right. is going to be key. And then I think, you know, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about this. 
I do. I wrote the book to be yeah. Read the book. Support. Here's one of the, we'll get I mean, here. Every single right. part of the book has exercises, reflections. Nice. You can decide how deep you want to go on this, but it includes techniques on how do you interrupt that voice in the moment. Right. How do you build your momentum? And so it's it's intended to serve as a guide, really, and and that's my hope. Yeah. And I also love the idea of right. The, in 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 my book, I talk about breaking the rules, but it's really what yeah. you're talking about is the rules that served you that were given to you at an early age, and and they were the right ones at that point. Yeah. But we carry those with us through our entire lives, and at yeah. some point, those rules may not be serving us anymore. Yeah. But yet we don't examine them because we believe them to be true. Yes. Right. We believe them to be just the you're, right. You're using the word belief. Right? right. So and that's why we never go back right. on that part. Right. We always go to action and outcome, action and outcome, because belief is second nature. It's in our DNA. It's just we, we don't question we are so it, right? sure that our beliefs are just fine. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that is that is so incredibly key. And feedback is another one. You know, I, I always tell people feedback is like a coat. Somebody gives me feedback, I try it on, I go, you know what, it's 70 degrees out today, I don't really need this coat, <laughs> so right. thank you, doesn't serve me right now. Right. It, sleeves are too short, it's too bulky, it's too light, it's too, so try it on, you know, try it on, right. honor the feedback, but you don't have to wear that coat. And carry it around. Carry it around. Right. So I love that. So where can people get the book? How can they find out more about your company and how you can help them? Because I know you do a lot of coaching. Yes. Mm -hmm. What are the best places for them to get info? So uh, my website, so teresasandy.com. There, there's information. You can sign up for a newsletter to stay in touch. You can also get on a mailing list and and, um, my email address is out there as well. Um, LinkedIn is a great place to find me, you know, so LinkedIn slash teresasandy. And then I'm also out on Instagram. It's hashtag fierce not fears. So the book is called Find Your Fierce. So it's Fierce Not Fears on Instagram. And the book is for sale on my website. You can absolutely get it there. It's also available on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all the, the usual regular places. places. Yeah. All right. We will make sure and include all of that in the podcast notes in Thank case you. people are driving or running or whatever else they do while they're <laughs> listening to podcasts. Thank you for coming and having this open, vulnerable conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's so important. And, you know, just a reminder on this podcast for everyone that the point of this is just to shift your perspective a little bit, right? All the topics, the leaders we bring on, it's not that something's woefully broken. It's not you need to change everything. It's just that small shift in perspective that might have you react differently, have you assess something deeper. That's our goal with this podcast. And so I hope you got that today. I hope you understand. I hope you share this with someone else that might be dealing with the same thing because they've shared it with you. Don't self-diagnose them or don't (laughs) diagnose them per Teresa's feed. But sharing it with somebody that you love or that you know that struggles with this, right? I think that's, that's a great gift to give people. So as always, thanks for being part of this community. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please click that little subscribe button so you get the latest episodes when we release them. And we would so appreciate a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you on how these podcast topics are having an impact for you. And if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, make sure and go to our website, keystonegroupintl.com to sign up. 